You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. All right, Lord, thanks for uh, today. Thank you for this um, opportunity, and thanks so much uh, for the children and the relationships you've blessed us with. And Lord, um, you are the King of Kings. You're the Good Shepherd, and uh, you sit on your throne. You don't walk around pacing, uh, wringing your hands or pulling out your hair. You're not worried. You sit on your throne uh, because you are good and you're fully in control of all things and you've defeated sin and death. And so um, bless this time uh, for our education and um, equip us as parents and adults. Ask the Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Jack, would you mind closing that door? And uh, would you mind closing that door? Thanks so much. All right, so um, this this is the beginning of a series. This series is going to be really, really good. Uh, uh, This week, Rachel and I are going to talk about developmental factors to consider as it pertains to kids and technology. Um, and next week will be social factors that kind of help you understand kids and technology. And then the last class will be the can't miss. Uh, that'll be uh, Martin Clapp, who is a, a technology person for a living. He's done this class before, but it was we've heard had so many people say that they have like implemented what he taught last year that we may just do it every single year. Um, because I mean, a lot of times you're like, yes, I want to protect my kids, but like, I don't even know what the settings menu is on my phone. Uh, I don't know what preferences is on my computer. And so Martin kind of really walks through in a very practical way to say like, this is how you turn off this, <laughs> so and so forth. So, um, so anyhow, that's the, that's how the classes are going to flow. So today, um, uh, so Rachel and I both have education backgrounds. You're major in college. Yeah, family studies, human development, family studies. Right. And so, um, and I, I have a master's in education and so, and we also like work with kids. And so we kind of have a fair amount of knowledge about, uh, what's going on with kids developmentally because of our educational background. But we also kind of see and practice what they do. And it's, um, when you kind of know some of the propensities and affinities of, of kids, um, particularly early adolescents and, and teenagers, uh, it, it really helps you to think about, um, how you kind of protect your kids when it comes to technology. Um, I want to, um, if you're, and one thing I will say is uh, there's there's a pretty high risk if you're a parent and you already have like middle schoolers or high schoolers. There could be this sense in the, in the course of this class where you're going to be like, oh my goodness, we have already totally blown it. You know, like, you know, chillax. It's going to, you know, like God is, God is, God is bigger than, you know, any shortcomings that we as parents have. Um, if you're a parent uh, and you have kids, say, um, particularly first grade to fourth grade, you're in a very good position um, because a lot of this stuff has not really come on yet and you can, you can already proactively kind of be setting the boundaries because it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard once the toothpaste is out of the tube, you know, like once they have Snapchat or once they have Instagram, it's very difficult to, um, it's very difficult to say like, we're taking that off your phone. Um, you can do that. You're empowered to do that, but it, it's a pretty hard. It's a pretty hard fight. Uh, so anyhow, I want to start out with this um, video. This commercial, you may have already seen it. It may be, uh, it may be extraordinarily irritating to you, um, but this is a progressive commercial. And uh, what I want you to watch is Flo, who's kind of like the progressive spokesperson. I want you to watch her body language and her facial expressions over the course of this commercial, where she is kind of cast as, you know, this is it's like a really, it's kind of like a, 
parody of a cheesy sitcom. And, um, and you'll, I mean, you'll get it with the music and everything. But she is the maid in the sitcom, but she's like, I'm not, I'm not a maid. Like, what, why, anyhow. So notice her body, body language, her facial expressions. I'll explain why I'm, I'm using this because flow is going to kind of remind you of your child, particularly if your child is a teenager. clip there is like <laughs> kids feel so misunderstood they feel so misunderstood right so Flo in this she's like I'm an insurance person you know I, I that's what I do I protect your home and your auto and yet she's being like cast as and related to as the maid and the whole time she's like like what in the world you know like I'm the maid I'm not the maid I'm not the maid right so your child a lot of times has this idea of like, I am a fully actualized human being, you know? <laughs> I am an adult. I mean, look, I know ABCs, uh, I can count to 20, and this means that like, let me drive the car, mom and dad. Like, why can't I, you know, get in the, right? So they feel like totally misunderstood, and they don't have the self-awareness tools to be able to like, to, to be able to understand like, you are not ready for certain things. And so um, that's just kind of to prepare you for uh, this, this kind of resistance that you'll find. So, uh, you know, we're all probably familiar with the 23rd Psalm. It's probably one of the most iconic scriptures in all the Bible, uh, probably the most memorized of all the scriptures in the Bible. Um, but Psalm 23 says the Lord, and, and you know, let me ask you this. What are some words, like when you hear 23rd Psalm, uh, what are some words that you associate with it? Shepherd, fear, fear. The valley of death, death. Cup overflows, Cup overflows. Comfort. comfort. Oh, want. Yeah, so there's this like, there tends to be this sense of tranquility, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Uh, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So there's this sense of tranquility. This is the reality of what it's like when the Lord is your shepherd, when the Lord is leading your life and is totally in control. And it just, you know, it's, it's a very, uh, in some ways, like a fluffy psalm. You know, it feels like cotton, like rubbing up against your cheek, right? But here's this one line here. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And most of us don't really know what that is, because most of us, um, uh, the Andersons, y'all may know what that is, because y'all have a bunch of animals, but uh, but for the most part, most of us do not have, aren't shepherds, you know, we aren't tending sheep. And so um, the rod and the staff were two instruments that a shepherd would carry. The rod was for defense. So, you know, if a wild animal came to attack the sheep, the rod was 
you know, like blunt force trauma, boom, you know, something meant to protect from evil or protect from wild, you know, from, from dangerous and aggressive animals. And then the staff um, was, you know, this kind of hook type instrument. And if the, the sheep started to get out of line, they would use the staff to pull them back. So the rod is to protect from outside forces, so wild animals, whatever. The staff was to protect from to protect the sheep from themselves. And so I think you know part of how the Lord watches over us as a good shepherd, part of the way that He shepherds us, um, is with a rod and a staff. Like He protects us from outside forces, um, and uh, and then He also protects us from ourselves. And so a lot of times the way that we shepherd our parent, or what shepherd our children as parents um, is with a rod and a staff. Like we obviously are more familiar with some of the dangers in the world. So, you know, if you have like a toddler um, and they, you know, having boundaries where you do not allow them to like get out and walk out in the street, like you know uh, that, you know, fast cars are very dangerous if you walk out in the street. Uh, your, you know, 18-month-old obviously does not have the cognitive ability to know that, right? Um, uh, so that's that's a that's a matter of like a staff, you know, like you're reining them in, protecting them from themselves. And then too, you also know that like on television or movies, you don't just let your child randomly choose what movie they're going to go to, because you know there's stuff that could be harmful or overwhelming. Um, that they could be exposed to. So that's that's where you kind of use your rod, in a sense, to protect them from uh, things outside that could, that could harm them. And so um, when we think about uh, technology, uh, there is this kind of rod and staff dynamic of knowing that your child um, can can wander into things unknowingly or knowingly <laughs> that, um, that can harm them. So in a sense, you're protecting them from themselves. And you also know there's stuff out there that they are not aware of. Uh, stuff on the internet, stuff on TV, so on and so forth, that you need to apply the rod and protect them from. And so what we're going to do um, here is we're going to go through um, six developmental factors about early adolescence and adolescent age kids um, that when you kind of know these, what's going on with them uh, socially and psychologically and physically in their development and their maturation, it kind of gives you a little um, more tools in terms of like applying the rod and the staff and like protecting your kids and, and developing uh, wise boundaries with technology. So um, I'll, I'm going to take, I have the first, I have the first one. Okay, great. All right, so the first is that uh, kids tend to learn, thank, oh, yeah, one more. There we go. Oh, sorry. Am I going to do this? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about this. Sorry, forgot this slide. All right, so this slide here, you can see that you have truth, you have context, and you have message and action. And so this, this class is going to feel, a lot of times you're kind of accustomed at the Advent to like classes being purely like theologically driven. Um, this one is going to be a lot more context driven. And so we have the truth, like we know we have like principles like we just talked about from the 23rd Psalm. Um, but we also have to think about the context of how we apply those things. How does that apply to how we communicate to people? How does it apply to how we act? And so... Uh, so we're kind of applying that principle of rod and staff, protecting kids from themselves and from things on the outside, and we're using what we know about context, what we know about them developmentally, to help us in, to inform our action and the way we communicate with our kids. So that's the point of that slide. <laughs> okay, so now six developmental factors. Sorry, the first is that kids tend to learn through exploration and experimentation. Um, this is particularly true with boys. 
Um, you know, I, I w- I'm going to tell, I'll tell a couple stories, but I would invite, if anyone wants to be really vulnerable and tell us a story of, uh, particularly a boy, of something stupid you did as like a late elementary age kid or whatever that was like, hey, l- it always starts with, let's see what happens if dot, <laughs> dot, 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 right? Like, so I'm in fifth grade. I grew up in like kind of behind Highlands Day School, the south, south Cherokee Bend area. And um, there were uh, four-wheeler trails that went to 459. I'm in the fifth grade. Yeah, I'm in the fifth grade. And so my friends, um, we decided, like, let's go, let's go down to 459, and let's see what happens if we throw rocks at cars. I know, yeah. I know, right? I mean, how dumb? You're, you're sitting here thinking, like, how dumb can you be? Uh, but listen, like, it, this is, this is, this is, Particularly boys, right? Let's experiment. Like, let's just do it, right? I want to tell you what happens if you throw rocks at cars on 459. A state trooper will chase you through the woods. Uh, and that did happen. Uh, yeah, so can a 10-year-old go to juvie, right? I don't know. But we almost found out. Um, that's, you know, that's the kind of, like, that's just the kind of stupid stuff. Like, let's see what happens if this. All kinds. Why, boys, what do we love to play with? Boys love to play with fire, right? We love to play with fire. And and not only do we like to play with fire, what do we ultimately want to see what we can do with fire? Blow things up, right? I have a friend, eighth grade, was up in the uh, Mount Berg Junior High locker room. There was an empty two-liter Coke bottle. He had, you know, like a lighter or some matches. They had some stuff. And they decided they were going to, like, put some, like, chemicals in the Coke bottle, uh, you know, light something in it, throw it, and then throw it out onto the football field. This is during school. <laughs> this is during school. <laughs> and and he, got, he got suspended. This was like a good kid, you know? That is just how that is, you know, learn through experimentation. It seems so stupid to us, but that's because our brains, like, we have learned if you throw rocks at cars, like, people can die and people can get put in jail. We know that now. Didn't know that in fourth grade. And so, with that being said, like, you're, think about what an incredible place to explore the internet is. You know, it's like, we'll start talking about a cool place that I've gone, like, with my daughter, like, oh, I've gone to Paris or something like that. Mommy used to live in Chongqing, uh, and, you know, in, in central China. And so, we can just get on the internet and go to Google Images and pull up, you know, Chongqing and show pictures of the city. It's an amazing place to explore, right? So Sally or Johnny are at school, and they hear a word in the locker room that they don't know that it's, you know, they don't know that it's something that's, like, you know, sexually charged. And so they just, oh, I wonder what that was. I kind of felt like a goober that I don't know what a blank blank is or, you know, fill in the blank. I'm not going to, since the, after that sermon, uh, the text we use, I'm not going to, I'm not going to push the blush uh, uh, threshold anymore. But, um... But, uh, and so they go home and they put something in Google Images and boom, out comes all of, all this pornography, right? And so the first, the first thing I would say to understand is like your child's, um, primary way, particularly as in early adolescence and pre-adolescence, the primary way that they learn is through experimentation and exploration. And so with that being said, knowing that that is how they want to learn about things, that's how they want to experiment with things, um, you definitely want to have it makes sense that you'd want to have like certain filters and certain boundaries um, such that they cannot just roam wild and explore everything there is 
uh, to see on the internet or on television. Um, so that's 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 a first thing. Um, second, Rachel. Oh yeah, 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 totally. Not that it really matters, but I think you're less. Take the mic. Well, there'd probably be a lot of people who are like, oh, I want to listen to that class. Rachel Payne speaking. This is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, great, thanks. Awesome. Okay, so that's perfect, and that goes straight into um, this second point of being um, just really egocentric is the the like main thing of when children are coming from like in fourth fifth grade into sixth seventh eighth grade they're stepping out of this very egocentric time when they in fourth grade can can only think of me and man it's you know it seems so fun to go throw rocks at cars but then what's happening in this next stage of as they walk into adolescence is that they have a very heightened sense of, of themselves as they're starting to learn about other people that, oh man, other people see me and they're noticing me. And that is like terrifying. Um, and so what's what's happening is that their their brains are having a really hard time, you know, judging what to actually do in decisions and and also thinking about how other people think about them. And um, David Elkin put it this way, that um, he describes adolescent um, uh, egocentrism as that, that they're just really unable to distinguish between their perception of what others think about them and what people actually think in reality. And so as if y'all have teenagers, y'all totally know this, that that they are so scared what other people might think. And so they're hyper aware. If I have a pimple on my face and walk into school, everyone is seeing that. In reality, every other seventh grader is also thinking about everyone's <laughs> looking at me. So it's just like you walk into, if you walk into the like, you know, Mountain Brook Junior High, everybody is just navel gazing basically. And so, but they, you know, like they are not able to actually see that. And so, so that's why, and so this is something that happened this past semester at, at one of my Bible studies that we're all there. There's like eight, nine girls ready for their breakfast and Bible study time. This is, you know, before school. And so we normally feed them and moms bring, bring breakfast. And so we're looking at the like schedule. Who's bringing it? I just text that, that girl like, Hey, are you on your way? Just, just, you know, checking what happened like we all do we all forget things this girl was was sick that day and her mom just like forgot we all forget and so but I had no clue so I felt bad that I texted anyway but what happened this girl wakes up in her bed and is terrified of what other people are going to think because she forgot breakfast and when I'm like you know, we can whip up some eggs and it's going to be fine. Like y'all will be fed. Y'all are not going to starve, obviously. But she, her, her mom told me later was just sobbing and like, my friends are going to hate me for this. But, but this is what's going through their, you know, their minds all the time of what do I think about myself? Cause I'm, I'm learning myself, but what do other people think uh, about me? And that is just, terrifying. So that's why everybody conforms to style. They're conforming to all different ways. And really, um, Eric Erickson puts it this way with, with ages 13 to like 19, they're really asking the question, who am I and what, what can I be? But that 
who am I is really, really starting to develop in their minds. And so also a, a fun fact with what's happening in their brains is so all the gray gray matters kind of as they step into adolescence, the, the gray uh, matters being pruned away. And so um, in a study for the um, inside the like teenage brain says uh, this pruning process, uh, it, it'll start in the back of the brain and then head to the front. And so, but the prefrontal, yeah, like this prefrontal cortex is this decision-making part of the brain. Um, and so, which is why we see students that are, you know, acting out in all different things. So because this prefrontal cortex is still developing, teenagers might rely on the part of the brain called the um, amygdala. And so, but this area of the uh, brain, it has to do with uh, um, impulses, aggression, and instinctive behavior. So if you have a teenage boy, you might see these come out too. And so, but this is why, because the brain is developing from the back to the front, and the front has a, a lot to do with decision making, it'll, like, this is why sometimes you will see your teenage daughter maybe say the most profound thing and you're like, wow, she's really understanding life and has this what you know deep way of thinking. But then the next moment is like, you're like that, that you know, you really aren't making sense. Like you're you're saying this profound statement that's so deep, but then also your decisions are not lining up at all. And that's partly because of where their their brain is. And so this is I think that adolescence is a great time for parents to step in to be extra gracious and understanding where they are, that their brains might not be able to handle all of this going on. So due to the brain, that's kind of what's happening with, um, so that's kind of the like end of point two is just that where their brain is. And I think that that flows into your yeah, next into point. Two. One thing point. I will say with reverence to point two is, you know, this heightened sense of like self-consciousness and self-awareness so that like, I can remember being in seventh grade and walking down the hall and there's a group of girls giggling about something. None of these girls knew who I was. Um, and I was just convinced that they were laughing at me, you know, right? That doesn't make that, that but that's it. You don't, you, at, at that age, um, it's a new thing. It's a new thing that you have this new awareness of like, oh, other people have form opinions and have perceptions of me. And so I would say, um, this is, there's this campaign called the, the wait until eighth campaign. Uh, that kind of encourages uh, pushing off smartphones and things like that. I personally would recommend um, waiting to like ninth grade on Instagram. I know everyone here is like, oh God, my kid's already got Instagram. But the reason I say that is your child already, ha already has a fair amount of anxiety uh, that comes with the self-awareness of like, oh, everyone's looking at me in the lunchroom. Everyone notices my zit, right? Well, when, when a child has a social media platform uh, like Instagram, well, it's actually real. You know, it is real. Like there are, there are people watching them. There are people who are liking or not liking or commenting on their images. And so it just kind of compounds what's already a challenging reality for a kid. Um, it makes their, the level at which they think people are noticing them is totally irrational. It's like a thousand times the reality. Mm -hmm. And so Instagram actually kind of, um, or, or some kind of social media platform where people are looking at validating, responding to them, just in some ways um, confirms their irrational uh, conception 
of how much people are looking at them, and it can really kind of uh, increase their anxiety in that phase. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's odd. I mean, I think that's pretty consistent with what you'd expect developmentally, but I also think that our kids have lived in an age where everything they do is put up on Instagram or put up on Facebook, and they kind of know it. You know, like we have our, you know, back in the day, it was like you pull out the 150-pound camera just for birthday parties. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's like you get in your phone, and I'm guilty as anyone. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, you know, everything that Knox does is the single cutest thing any baby has ever done in their life. And so, like, he just walked down the hall. I need this videotape that, you know. I mean, and so I do think I do think that um, I do think that the kind of the technology age that we live in does, in some ways, maybe accelerate that or, or, or make it earlier that they have that sense of self awareness. Um, number three, uh, limited ability to assess long term consequence. And Rachel hit on this uh, a fair amount, um, so I'm not going to get into it a ton. But I mean, we just kind of know this that. Um, the part of the brain that assesses risk, like the part of the brain that says, wow, you know, if, um, if I send this picture out, then that person might send it to another person who sends it to another person and everyone in the school is going to figure that out. Or like, uh, you know, I, I, you've, everyone has probably seen people who've had this situation where in adolescence or college, they like crossed a line when it comes to like drugs and alcohol. And so then they go for a job interview you know, and they get asked, like, have you ever done this? And it's like, oh, I only, I only did it like a couple of times, but, and you, and like, I've, I've seen students in particular who have been denied like lifelong dream kind of professional opportunities because, you know, they were like 17 or 18 or 19 and everyone in the fraternity house was doing this, that, and the other. And, and they just don't have, you know, the neurological <laughs> facility to assess like, how certain actions will affect them down the road, and so I think that's part of why, um, part of why, in terms of uh, especially ability to take pictures, um, ability to send pictures, uh, things of that nature, uh, that you kind of probably want to be on the, the stricter side with that. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a couple. Of, we just I heard an article on the Rudy blog um, that's not. It's, it's honestly. I just like have collected things I've heard from kids and college students and, and youth pastors about kind of shocking behaviors that are normalized with kids. Um, but you know, uh, you know, your child, you know, I, I, let me just say this: good good things to do on your phone are to, if your child has a smartphone, um, are to limit their ability to send and receive multimedia uh, messages. So basically, they can't send or receive pictures. Uh, so if you know Johnny wants to send some porn, uh, you know pornographic image like that just can't come into your child's phone because your child's phone uh, has a has a restriction where pictures cannot enter into that that system. Um, and uh, and yeah, and, and and also their ability to send out a picture is limited as well. And so I would just keep in mind that like you you really we hear these stories of things that uh, particularly middle schoolers. Middle schoolers in particular, this is particularly intense there. But I mean, but it's true in high school as well. But little middle schoolers and high schoolers do um, things that they send out, things they do on the internet, and you're like, what were you thinking? You know, 
didn't you didn't you didn't you connect you know A to B to B to C to C to D? It's like no 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 they they really have a very limited ability to to make it from B to C. Like they they can think A to B, but B to C C to D all the way beyond. Like their their brain is just not in a place where they can assess risk and long term consequence very well. And so that's just something to think about in terms of um, in terms of how you put uh, boundaries and limits. Uh, on your kid's phone. And then do you want to do, are you doing Oh, my, my four, limited ability to assess how their actions, yeah, and so in the same right, um, in the same, you know, it's just, this really is almost kind of redundant, but kids also, this is why middle schoolers are so mean. <laughs> it's true, you, know, you just kind of thought like when you were in middle school that like everyone was mean and like, oh, that was just middle school. No, 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 everyone was mean. Like that's real, <laughs> that's real, you know? Just think of like the really hateful things that kids say to one another, or like hateful text messages they'll send to one another, or um, just mean stuff that they do. There's this this combination of one, they can they don't really assess risk and consequence very well, and then also too, I mean, is there a more self-absorbed species than the middle schooler and high schooler, but particularly the middle schooler, like? There's just so much going on physically, like their body is changing. There's so much changing neurologically. There's so much changing socially that it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like when you're so overwhelmed with something, like you have so much on your plate that you're not worrying about, you know, taking care of your neighbor. You're not worried about doing something thoughtful for another person. Like you're in over your head with stuff. Um, and so, you know, it's like when you first take a baby home from the hospital, that's not the time that you're like baking cookies for your neighbor. That's the time you're like, bring on the casserole, right? Because you have so much going on. You're so overwhelmed. Well, that's kind of a state that an early adolescent lives in. Uh, there's so much going on, uh, socially, neurologically, and physically that it is, it's, they kind of live overwhelmed. And so, with that being said, they just don't think about the way that their actions affect others. They can just be really mean. And so um, you can kind of connect the dots on how that applies. So All right. This next one is a really good one. And to, to go with that, too, I've heard from multiple, like, students that, that people are, like, going to very significant degrees to exclude people from, like, group text and from... So there's just, like, kind of the meanness and bullying going on, which I just like that I did not experience that which was not like that long ago. So it's just kind of getting this, yeah, that middle school mean girl culture is, I don't know, kind of worse than it was. And, okay, I'm going to, well, jump to, I think, six first. So longing for independence that I've noticed this so much that middle schoolers and even early high school, they're wanting to be independent. And y'all probably seen this, that, that they're like, I just want to drive. I want to um they like yeah this is why i've seen some even seventh eighth graders love going to the the summit with with their friends because they've got this illusion of i'm independent i'm gonna go go shopping and they they love that so i think if you can can give your child that illusion of like yeah you're you're free to act like a uh, college student but like really i know exactly where you are and it's fine so i think that those are really good moments to like understand your child's really wanting whatever that next stage is which for a like eighth grader, they're like, oh, that girl with the the really cool car can't wait till till that's me, and so so they're really wanting that, and so that's really what is 
is going on that like they're wanting to be independent, but also they know deep down that like they cannot handle full independence and that that would actually like terrify them. Um, and so this was a total uh, side note, but if y'all have ever gotten the, the um, eye roll from your daughter, that really means that they love you and that, that like you are really doing something right. Um, I'm, I, I, yeah, I have two older sisters and so I just know we, we, yeah, we gave my parents many, many eye rolls, but that means like, ugh, I can't wear this outfit to like church, dad. I'm so frustrated. I mean, this happened to me eighth grade and, and I was like, what do you mean? This is too short. Like, it's cute. I found a dress that actually fits me. Come on, dad. You know, but really I'm like, wow, my dad loved me so much to actually tell me no. And like, so now I'm like, oh, should I should probably call him after and say thank you for, um, you know, doing that. And so, and that, you know, there's the like, the uh, staff coming in of like, you think that this is so cute, but I'm going to protect you from all different things just in that one little instance. And so, um, so that is kind of one factor that's going on. But then, yeah, totally. I think because they want independence, they're not going to admit to you that like, hey, you know what, you're really actually as a parent, you're doing the wise thing by saying no or by Mm -hmm. putting these boundaries on me. They're not going to, you know, it's, it's really funny because I wrote this article that talked about, you know, behaviors that kids are doing on the internet and so on and so forth that are really, like, shocking. And um, and I asked my, some of my high school Bible studies, I'm like, hey, guys, is this real? And they're like, no way. Like, no, 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 no one does that. No one does that. Uh, no, no. And then I asked college students, because now they're in college, right? I was like, hey, is this the norm in high school? And they across the board were like, oh, yeah, totally. Like, completely, right? And so I think in terms of um, kind of like what Rachel said, no doubt, because they want independence, uh, they're going to resist boundaries. They're going to have an attitude. They're going to give the finger so and so forth on, you know, on when you try to rein them in. But they will, this, this will really make you mad. They will tell us, like, yeah, I know my, I know my parents are doing the right thing. Yes. They will. They, and you can they, tell they, they feel will. a sense of comfort. They feel a mm-hmm. sense of respect for their parents. And they, they do. They feel a, a sense of peace mm-hmm. that, like, there is somebody watching after yeah. me. I had a student who both of his parents died in a plane crash uh, about eight, nine or ten years ago. And, um, and you know, and he went one day he had two parents, and the next day he had no parents. Uh, and he was, you know, about 20 years old. And I can remember asking him about a year later, like, what's the main thing you miss about your parents? And this was a kid who really pushed the envelope, was really rebellious. And he, um, and he said, I really miss my parents being on my case. Uh, so just to kind of warn you, like, they do tell us behind closed doors that they appreciate their kids' bound, the, the boundaries you put mm-hmm. on them, but they're not ever going to admit that mm-hmm. to you. <laughs> yeah. So true. No, 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 that's so true, because that's actually what I was going to um, read next were, are some of my students... This past year, these are some things that they have said about media and their phones. And one uh, one student said, "I like my phone, but I really don't want to be tied to it." They like they they already know that it, that it's the extension to their hand. They already know that. And she um, said, "My mom has a, a VPN, a like parental or yeah, like parent control on my phone, and it's actually freeing." So. Um, she said that, and then in telling me like the uh, most fun time recently in her her like month, 
She said, my recent fun times have been with my friends and family. At, at my friend's birthday party, we played tag and like just left our phones in the room without even thinking about it. It was so fun. And so she, this eighth grader, was able to um, say, the funnest time that I've had has not been on my phone. And so they're able to actually <coughs> say all of this. And then um, then I've, there was another student who I, I just talked to her like last week, and she gave up her phone for Lent, which like none of us do that on her own decided that told her parents so just go go talk to her parents about that um and she said if um everyone at school didn't have their phone then it then it would be fine and so it says everyone else has it so like therefore i must need it too and then this this other girl at um bible study also eighth grade said this year in eighth grade has been so hard i've felt so many different emotions and i don't know what to, to do with them all basically saying i'm confused with my own body and this is so overwhelming so just that's the, the like reality especially for like middle school girls um and so some like different stats that i have found with all of this i found a great article from world magazine um titled teens in crisis and it just basically talks about that, that students and, and kids are spending way less um, time face-to-face and way more time on their uh, phones. And they're like even like waiting, they're like scared to even get, get their permits and drive, which that could help us out, you know, but, but, but not, not really. Like that, that uh, they're so terrified of these next stages that haven't really been a like issue in the past. And then so many studies have also shown uh, mental disorders and anxiety, depression, body image issues skyrocket when social media goes up too. And this one study uh, showed that from like 2009 to like 12, things were fairly stable when it comes to like mood disorders in, in, in teenagers. And that they like things were not too, too crazy from, from those years. They like kind of stayed the uh, same with major, de- uh, like, with even depressive episodes, different things going on. But then 2013 and till, till now, it's just, you know, just steadily gone up. And so basically, as um, that teens are just so anxious and super, like, you know, then like that leads to depression, all these, these different things going on. And I just did this last night. I was like, huh, I just wonder what's up with 2013. Why 2013? I know that 2012 things were um, also going pretty well with media and different things. And this is, I'm not saying anything that I, I've just done a tiny bit of like research, but I just don't know if this is, is a super correlation or not. But I just looked up Snapchat and when it was created and when it got really popular. So it was created 20, um, like 11. And then within one year, they had like 10 million followers. And then, but in October of 2013, Snapchat made a really big difference in, in their, their stories and their platform. And it really changed. And, and I just know the younger middle school culture for the past couple years have loved Snapchat and that that's, you know, it's like a quarter of their face, you know, of like, I'm just doing this. It's just this constant communication. But 
I just wonder what correlation certain apps and certain things have. And like, it's not just, you know, Snapchat, it's Instagram and Vine also happened then at, at like 2013 too. So, um, but but very interesting just to kind of see all of those stats and also this other thing that um, 40 percent of of girls who spend five plus hours on social media show symptoms of of depression and so and it's like much 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 lower with with boys it's like 15 to 20 percent so it's a lot lower and i just just think that that's crazy so um um yeah 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 um so, one thing, two, two final things. One I would say is um, there's a scholar named Danica Wade, and she, she she has a thing in her book. It's so funny. Her book was written like a great book about nine years ago, but it was talking about um, what's that old platform that was before MySpace. MySpace. They talked about MySpace, like how passe is this? Um, but she said, you know, think about when when most of us were growing up, that like for me when you were in middle school. The colonnade was where you hung out on Friday night, right? The mall, you know, in yeah. a small town, it might have been a shopping center, wherever it may have been. But there was this place where, on the weekend, you would go, and that's where people were, you know. And and I, I can remember Friday night, I wanted to be at the colonnade. I wanted to go to a movie. I wanted to go to Johnny Rockets and get a piece of pie. And I would beg my mom, let me go to the colonnade. Let me go to the colonnade. Uh, because that's where everybody was going to be. And where you are at this age is you want to be in the group. You desperately want to be in the group. Well, now, mm -hmm. you know, social media is the shopping mall. You know, the mm -hmm. Instagram or the group message, um, wherever it is, that's where people hang out. Mm -hmm. And so in the same way that you wanted to be at the mall or wherever it was that people hung out in your town, um, they want to be online because that's where everybody is hanging out. It's a virtual, it's, it's virtual, but it's real to them. And so that's a lot of what drives all this. And so just to kind of land the plane here, I think one thing is a lot of the stuff we say so that you can be <coughs> compassionate with your child, you can kind of understand them and be patient. It does not excuse their sinful behavior. Like, oh, they want to be independent and they're being sassy with you as a parent. Like, Children obey your parents as is pleasing to the Lord. Like that's 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 not excusable to be disrespectful to your parents. Um, it's uh, they may make really bad choices that are damaging uh, and, and that are illegal and so on and so forth. Like sure, maybe they're at a disadvantage on making choices, but that does not excuse you know bad behavior. So I don't want you to hear mm -hmm. that this excuses sinful behavior, sin is sin, and like you know consequences and discipline are good. Um, and it, it, uh, we hope that it will help you in some ways be compassionate with their bad behavior. <laughs> and also, too, get a sense of like just how ill-equipped they are to manage themselves at this age. Like They really need you to teach them boundaries, um, to, mm -hmm. teach, to, to protect them from themselves and protect them from the world. And so um, I hope over the next couple of weeks we'll have more stuff that will kind of help you in concrete ways to do that. And the last thing too, is just, there's no way, I think you, with a class like this, your instinct can be to just come out with like control and fear. You know, all right, we're going to lock this down. You, you're off Instagram today, you know, and <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And if you went home and said, you're off Snapchat today, I would bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I think it's insidious. Um, uh, go home and take it off their phone. I think it's a social justice issue, truly. But anyhow, but I, I, we don't need to freak out. 
We don't need to freak out. Like we need to remember that that the Lord is our shepherd. Like the Lord is your child shepherd, and like they're going to screw up. There's no way around it. And God's grace and God's plan for their life is bigger than the mistakes they're going to make and the inadequacies inadequacies we have as parents. So that's the last word, the kind of word of comfort. Quick question. Can I can I pray? Sorry, I'm on my five minutes over. Lord, thanks for this time. Thanks. Thank you for your word and your wisdom, and give us comfort knowing that you are our good shepherd and the good shepherd of our children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.